You're listening to the Inside Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Olson, digital producer for Nature. In this episode, we speak with filmmaker Joe Pontecorvo, producer of the recent nature film Yosemite. As the name suggests, Joe's film is about Yosemite National Park, one of America's oldest national parks, nestled in the Sierra Nevada mountain range of California. The film features a diverse cast of animal characters, including rabbit-like pikas, bighorn sheep, and peregrine falcons, as well as giant sequoias, the largest trees in the world. Filmed during the end of a historic drought which killed 100 million trees across California, Yosemite looks at how global climate change might affect the many species that call the park home. I spoke to Joe about the film and his career in the wild from our studio in Midtown Manhattan. Joe, it's so great to have you here on the Inside Nature podcast. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. You've produced a number of films for nature now, including the miniseries Bears of the Last Frontier, Snow Monkeys, The Last Orangutan Eden, and now Yosemite. How did that relationship with nature develop, and how did you get into wildlife filmmaking in the first place? Yeah, well, I got into wildlife filmmaking in kind of an odd way. Um, I actually was doing commercial work, and um, I've always loved the outdoors. I always wanted to be out there. But in the Pacific Northwest, where I'm from, it's mostly salmon and ancient forest, and we don't have a lot of sexy megafauna that would, um, you know, get me out there filming wildlife. So um, I actually met some folks from the Hornocker Wildlife Institute, and they said, hey, look, you know, we've got the Siberian Tiger Project. And we'd like to know if you'd be interested in working with us to produce a film. And initially, it was going to be a film for the project itself. And it ended up turning out to be an hour film, you know, that aired on Discovery Channel and so forth. So that sort of began the, you know, the thing I've been kind of looking for all that time. And um, the Bear Show uh, was really the first, that was the first series that we did with Nature. And... um, we were at the Montana Wildlife Film Festival, and right. Chris Morgan was up on stage talking, and uh, we started a conversation. Um, and the first uh, film I actually actually worked on for Nature was as a cameraman on the Wolverine uh, film, Chasing, Chasing Ch- the Phantom. Chasing the Phantom, yeah, which is an excellent film. Yeah, and um, and then at that point we started talking about what can we do with bears. So that's how that came to be. So I think. Um, Yosemite really is one of the most beautiful nature films that I've ever seen. Um, and it really captured sort of the magnificence of the park and the expansiveness of the park. Um, and there were a number of shots that really left me wondering, you know, how did he get that shot? Um, for example, uh, where you're filming the geologists who are dangling by ropes off the face of El Capitan, uh, or the botanists climbing up uh, the giant sequoia, sequoia trees. Um, how did you get those death-defying shots? Yeah. Um, so part of the film was this kind of uh, adventure sports aspect of it, and we wanted to show. You know, somebody's different than uh, Yellowstone, and that Yellowstone is really about you know North America's megafauna. But Yosemite is really about how people interact with the natural world. And, and there, you know, there's, it's a rock climbing mecca. So you couldn't make a film about Yosemite without going on El Cap. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, I, in that case, usually it's my wife and I, and we, we're the crew, basically, we're it. 
Um, but in this case, we had to have uh, an expert uh, rock climber and cinematographer. And so we got Jonathan Byers on board, and mm-hmm. he did a lot of the most technical sides of aspects of the climbing but then i of course wanted to micromanage the whole thing so i also (laughs) went up the easier route through the east ledges got to the top of el cap and then did a pitch down you know three thousand feet you know filming and swinging out over to show them sitting in their sitting in their um what's called a portal ledge Uh, Uh and uh uh, so yeah so i really and it turns out that by the end of the film i had done an enormous amount of climbing um we climbed giant sequoias to film uh anthony ambrose and his team taking measurements of the health of giant sequoias and i have to say that climbing the giant sequoias more than anything else that was the most awe-inspiring uh experience because Mm -hmm. you're climbing a living organism um you know it's and there's limbs that are it's like a city in there you know and so when you're in the canopy there's these you know limbs that are like eight feet in diameter and you're walking out on them and you can feel the whole thing swaying and it's you can feel that it's alive that it's you are you know climbing through this living organism and at the same time you're climbing through time because at the base of the tree you're talking about something that may be three thousand years old and the top of the tree you're talking about vegetation that might have been yesterday Wow. So it's like this time travel experience that you get while you're climbing a sequoia. Yeah, it's remarkable. That's so cool. And some of those trees are 3,000 years old. That's yeah, 3,000 yeah. years old, and some of them can reach the height of the Statue of Liberty. And, and that's the only place in the world that has those types of trees, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's, there's very few of them left. You know? mm. um, they are endangered, and they're small groves scattered through the Sierras. Um, and these groves are, are holding, you know, the world's largest living tree. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I need to put that on my bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's impressive. I mean, you know, I think California is full of superlatives, right? You know, yeah. it's got this, you know, it's got the world's largest tree. It has the world's tallest tree, <laughs> the coastal redwoods. It's got, um, you know, like one of the most iconic monoliths in, in the world, you know, El Capitan. So, I mean, I think it's, it, it California's like that. I think right. Yeah, it must have been amazing for the explorers that initially came across those trees just going, oh, my God, like, this is insane. I, I can't imagine. I even can't imagine what it must have been like to enter Yosemite Valley for the first time, you know, to come in there and and see this incredible geology that must have just taken their breath away. And then as they got closer and closer, realizing just how massive it was, I mean— I don't know. When you stand at the when you stand at the base of El Cap and you look up and you notice that you're looking at something that's three thousand feet tall, you feel. I mean, you know, Yosemite's kind of a place that makes you feel really small. It and I think you know whether it's at the base of a giant sequoia or the base of El Cap, you have that feeling constantly when you're there that you feel like kind of an ant in this mm-hmm. much larger, you know, yeah. world. Well, I'm sure a lot of people watching the film, myself included, um, feel like they need to visit now. So I haven't been there and. Uh, I'm sure other people will want to go now, too. Oh, good. I mean, I think that's the, you know, that's really the motivation behind the film. You know, I really want people to get excited about going out there and participating in nature and and developing. You think the more time you spend in the natural world, the more like it's like spending time with people, the more empathy you develop and Mm -hmm. the more you care about it. And until you make that connection, it's just an abstract you know, photograph or idea. And here are these, I think a lot of natural history films, they're just inspiring you to go out there and make contact. 
I understand filming the bighorn sheep who live on these very sheer, crumbly rock cliffs uh, was especially challenging. Could you just talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah. Um, well, so Sierra bighorn sheep are um, endemic to that region. Uh, Sierra bighorn sheep only live in the California Sierra Nevada. And right now there's only 600 animals in the entire range. So you're talking about 600 animals and maybe 400 square miles. So um, it's a massive area. One of the biggest challenges was just finding them. Um, We did have help from uh, California Fish and Wildlife, and they do have some sheep with radio collars. But even so, they're incredibly shy, so they're very hard to get close to. Mm difficult to find. I mean, it's not, it's not like being in a place like Yellowstone where you can just kind of walk up and film. So that was a real challenge and you could go days and days without finding them. And even if you did, trying to get close enough to film them was really challenging. So, um, there was probably one time we were out there, we hadn't seen any sheep in days. We had planned this trip to only be so many days out there, but we extended it because we weren't having any luck. But we only brought enough food. <laughs> we didn't bring enough food to last us the entire duration. So, you know, we ended up trying to make stew out of um, bits of beef jerky. You know, we had this, like, <laughs> dehydrated peas and beef jerky. That was what we were down to. That was our entire food mm-hmm. supply. And so we, <laughs> we tried to come up with this. You can make stew. I'm here to testify that if you want a <laughs> cookbook, you, it's possible. Yeah, so anyway, um, and then, of course, as you might expect, what normally happens, you know, all it takes is one more day, and then, bam, they show up, and there's this incredible event unfolding in front of us, and, you know, we're able to capture it, so. Right. It's great. So so did you have to, you know, scale these cliffs to get up close enough to film them, or? We had to pack in quite a lot of gear uh, to get in that in in a wilderness area and then we had to um, camp there and in order to we actually were dropped off at the wrong location we had a mule team haul our gear in and so we actually had to go another uh, thousand feet up (laughs) so haul everything up to this other to establish a new base camp Um, we weren't scaling rocks but we were definitely scrambling over some really tricky terrain Mm, yeah mm -hmm. and that's just for that final leg, it's just you and your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty, and and to be honest, through most of the film, it was just my wife and I. We were, you know, we're both the Sherpas in this <laughs> in this team. <laughs> yeah. And what is, what is your wife's name? <laughs> Nimida. For the audience, sorry again. Uh, Nimida. Oh, okay, yeah. great, great. And and she's and, and you know she's Asian and you know skinny and 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 people look at her and go, how is it possible that you're carrying all this gear? I mean, she does it. She pack weighs more than she does it looks like half the time and but she is tough and and actually nim is her name for short uh nim is really the wildlife spotter in the group Mm. um she can just pick out a sheep on a cliffside you know a mile away and you just see this little dot and she's like oh there it is and sure enough we look through binoculars and it's there so wow it's pretty amazing so your film seems to be about two things it's kind of a visual love letter to Yosemite, and also a kind of warning shot about the threats to Yosemite presented by climate change. How did you weave those two themes together, and were there any challenges in doing that? Yes, a lot of challenges <laughs> in doing that. Um, I think the film the film really serves as an introduction to Yosemite. So we had, a, we had like three things going on in the film. 
One is we had this sort of sports adventure aspect to try to kind of capture the the sort of feeling of Yosemite, the, the way people interact with that part, uh, with the Sierras. At the same time, we began in the middle of a drought. And so we couldn't ignore probably the most important aspect of Yosemite, which was water. So we wanted to kind of look at the natural world through the lens of water. Um, you know, it's Yosemite's famous for its countless waterfalls. Um, and it also, the snowpack in the Sierra provides, you know, 30 to 40% of California's water. And 60% of California's water comes from the Sierra Nevada in total. So all the precipitation and snow combined. Mm. So, you know, it's clearly a really important, important component of the ecosystem. Right. And one of the things that was going on during the drought um, that made it stand out from past droughts. So even though droughts are a natural part of the cycle, it was the temperatures that we're experiencing that really pushed this drought over the edge. And there's things that happened that have uh, never happened before. And one of those things was that uh, over 100 million trees died across California, a lot of them in the Sierras. Wow. And that's really unprecedented. You yeah. Know, they're really entering uncharted territory at that point. And I think it's easy with all the rain and snow that California's been getting, I, I think it's easy to think, ah, well, you know, the drought's over, everything's fine, let's go back to business as usual. But this is all part of that larger climate change picture. Right. So you can't, you really can't look at climate change on a season by season basis. You have to really be thinking about it over the long term. So, you know, so this this extended drought that that basically you know went from I believe 2011 to 2017, maybe that gave us a little bit of a glimpse of of what could happen or what could change essentially. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the important aspects of the film. The film was really using this drought as sort of a snapshot into mm-hmm. the future. Right. If we could take a still of what the future might look like and what we, some of the problems we may be facing, this film was taking a little snapshot of that. And that's really the way a lot of the ecologists that I worked with also were viewing this drought. Um, they were both you know, heartbroken because they love forests and devastated by what happened, but excited because they got this glimpse of this is may, what may be coming down the road and we really need to know what's happening so we can start thinking about management differently. And when we think about national parks, you know, the mandate behind national parks is to preserve wilderness in perpetuity. But I think the questions we have to ask ourselves is, what are we preserving? You know, nature is not a static thing. It's ever-changing. So um, I think one of the things we were really trying to explore in the film was this idea of, of, first of all, looking at the impact of this drought and how the composition of this forest might be changing over time. Mm-hmm. You know, this that 100 million trees aren't coming back from the dead. They're gone. So the question is, what will replace it? Um, more drought-tolerant species? You know, what will those be? And then we're looking at the other aspect, which is, this is a mountain range with all these microclimates. So there's all these places where that could serve as refugia, that could serve as a refuge for species to hold out in a warming world. Mm-hmm. So there's there's positive things in this mix as well, which is, you know, if the climate is going to keep on warming, if snowpack is going to continue to decline, um, are there going to be places that are going to be more resilient than others? And if that's true, should we be focusing our efforts to cons- make sure we can preserve those locations. Right. So Giant Sequoia Forest turns out to be one of those places in Sequoia National Park where this may be a refugia. 
seems to have this rather consistent water supply that we don't quite understand yet. Right. And the giant sequoias, as well as all the other trees that were in that grove, um, seem to survive the drought and even thrive. While just outside the grove, those same trees, you know, firs, pines, and cedars, were dying at alarming rates. Mm. But then inside the grove, firs, pines, and cedars were healthy. And so that just indicates that, you know, these groves where the giant sequoias are indicates, you know, a refugia, some, you know, something going on hydrologically under the soil. Um, and I just wanted to point out for the audience listening that we have a web exclusive uh, short film that Joe produced that gets more into the science of, of how uh, scientists are identifying those refugia and uh, I encourage you to go to the website and check it out. Yeah, so I think that... Um, the film really serves as not only an introduction to Yosemite and, and Sequoia National Park, but by, look, by using water as a lens of which we look at the natural world, we're able to talk about how that ecosystem may be changing over time. And as temperatures rise and as the climate begins to shift, and as this climate changes from a sort of snow-based ecosystem to a rain-based ecosystem, how is that going to change um, the composition of not only the forest, but the species that live there. How ultimately will having longer, drier summers impact wildlife there? Um, so there's a lot of questions on the table. And I think as actually one PICA expert told me, um, we reason we don't have the answer to these questions is that we just haven't been asking them long enough to find the answers. That was Joe Pontecorvo, wildlife filmmaker and producer of Yosemite. The full film is available on our website at pbs.org nature. And while you're there, be sure to check out all of our podcasts, other full-length nature episodes, articles, and much more. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to the Nature Channel on SoundCloud. Until next time, I'm Eric Olson.